I'm, I'm teetering on the edge of making a colossal mistake. Like, oh no, what's going to happen? Hello and welcome to B&T's Fast 30 podcast produced by Eardrum. I'm Daisy Doctor and it's great to have your company today. Sadly, this week we won't be joined by B&T's editor-in-chief David Hovenden, though we still have mm, the much-loved B&T editor, John Bastic. Good afternoon, everyone. I think it'll actually be better without David, so... Oh, we'll see. As well as John, we have the lovely CHE Proximity CEO, Chris Howitson, who will be joining us for both the media news and the chit-chat later on. Hey, Chris. Hey, Daisy. Hey, John. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So we're going to start off with a look at the biggest media stories and campaigns from the last fortnight. The biggest kind of news that's come in the last fortnight would be the sudden departure of Cara CEO Paul Brooks. John, what did you make of this? Tricky question, Daisy. It's always difficult when, when someone in the industry leaves abruptly because that does set tongues aflutter. We hear media spend it's a difficult time to be in that industry the margins are low there's pressure on ceos so maybe that's a better question for chris yeah sure i don't know much about cara so i probably can't comment on the business but it is interesting that media spend has increased every month this year oh so okay. actually well, as i wouldn't have a clue so total total media spend has gone up every month this year but you're right about margin pressure john need to do some more homework <laughs> no i've met Paul, a few times, a highly respected guy, and, you know, he'll probably no doubt land on his feet somewhere elsewhere. Tay, who might not land on their feet, is the Bachelor contestant who just got booted and is now admitting to being a paid actor on the show. Bum, bum, bum. Daisy, that comes as a deep shock to me. Me Someone too. who's never watched an episode and of my Chris, life. And Chris, whose favourite show is The Bachelor. Can I say, it's, 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 <laughs> you know, does anyone give a shit? I don't really know. Do <laughs> advertisers care that, that maybe the product... That would be a question. Yeah, again, they're bo- artificially boosting their ratings. Should advertisers care? Chris, do you care? I think the reason people care more about The Bachelor now is the office sweeps. I don't know Ooh. if you have it in your office, but every office I know has the Bachelor faces in a hat. You pull them out, put some money on it, and... That's how you back it. I think when I first started, probably five or six years ago, it was sort of worthy dating, let's find love show. And what Sophie Monk did last year was start take, did it wonderfully, start to take the piss out of it. And Channel 10 really sort of, you know, saw the, it was a ratings boon, really. It, it became from worthy to quite comical. Hence, this honey badger fellow equally is a, you know, sort of a laconic, you know, knockabout Aussie lad. So equally, they're trying to play on the route. So I think you, what we will see increasingly in these dating programs is it becomes not satire, but heads that way. That's sort of the Australian spin on it too, isn't it? You know, The Bachelor came from America where it is the land of the love story yeah. and you can't belittle that. And I think over here we see through it. Totally. You know, we see it more as a parody of itself yeah. rather than... A serious matchmaking. You're probably right. That's what I meant to say, but he said it for me. Good, yeah. The other interesting part about The Bachelor is, as you said, Honey Badger is bringing in so many more men. So I many men are tuning s- in. I saw that. Which I is an interesting, interesting thing for advertisers. Channel 10 is saying spouting 36% now of their audience are male. This is the highest ever. The Honey Badger, I think, would appeal to Aussie blokes. It's a bevy of beauties on the program, which would appeal to blokes, so I'm not surprised that the numbers are that high. What about the boycott over Nike's latest campaign, which features, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, Kupernik? Kupernik? I think that's close. For those who don't know, he's an NFL superstar and took a knee during the anthem as a protest against 
all the racial issues in the States. Donald Trump was just really offended by it personally. And now Nike's gone and hired him as their face of their new campaign and already um, it's garnered nearly $60 million worth of free media exposure just because of the drama of it all. It was obviously aimed at millennials and I think I read sales of Nike shoes were up 35% on the weekend. So it's been a proven absolute success for for the brand. I think the ad itself is is a pretty just okay ad from mm. a creative standard point of view. But I think the fact that Nike are brave enough to confront the challenges of the cultural context with which that's existing is quite good. I um, Just by chance, actually, I saw, I don't know him, but someone at iFollow on LinkedIn liked him, so it came into my feed, a guy named Ben Campbell, who's a senior global strategist Lego group. I've got his page up now. Anyway, he talks about the 2% stock drop overnight from Nike when they first released this. You've got to sort of dig deeper. And what he proposes is that actually, um, you know, that, that market reaction is a is the wrong reaction. But if you go deeper, the under 35s, the millennials, their stock investment growth in Nike has grown by 45%. So in three days, they had 15,000 investments to make, basically make it in the top 37 stocks invested in by millennials through that period. There, I saw another really interesting post. It was, it was one of those ones retweeted on BuzzFeed or something, and it was a primary school teacher in America, and he tweeted... Hey, white trash, before you burn your expensive sneakers, I've got over 2,000 kids here that would love some high-performance apparel. <laughs> yeah. You know, give it to me. And I think in many ways, like, you know, what Ben goes on to talk about in his post on LinkedIn here is that is that actually the people that Nike have given the finger to is middle-class conservative America that buys an $80 pair of sneakers on sale once every two years. So the people that have pissed off to sort of make this impact actually isn't their core audience at all. Yeah. And the best people are the ones who are setting them on fire while still wearing them, setting themselves <laughs> on fire. That's been great B&T fodder for us. Thank God for idiots. Moving on to our campaigns of the last fortnight, have you guys seen TBWA's Walmart company's first campaign in seven years, which we'll have a quick listen to of now? So have you guys seen it? What did you think? It's a huge production. It had lots of sheep in it and wool generally is a difficult thing to sell. Yeah, it just didn't really thrill me. But having said that, everyone else loved it in BT, so I'm going against the woolen grain here. <laughs> Chris? <laughs> I think it's. I think it marks what's been a pretty amazing week in new ads, really. it's There's almost been more good stuff released in the last three or four days than there has been all year. I know we're going to go on to talk about some of them in a moment. I think for me what was interesting about the Walmart work was – Sure, they're promoting the category, but sort of wool is the category, so that sort of feels okay. Mm. But just the scale, and and maybe you know we haven't seen scaled productions for a few years. Clients haven't. It didn't been feel spending. like an Australian ad. You didn't. Did it? it felt oh, very... I don't. I don't think it mattered okay. where it felt like it came from. It felt like it, it sort of belonged in LA or somewhere like that. But it was probably more the point that you've got an Australian brand putting big dollars into production spend again, yeah. which we haven't seen for a number of years. Mm. You know, a lot of those big productions got scared off post GFC. And we really haven't come back to that era of spending multi-millions on TV ads again. Good news for creative agencies. I'd like to be a boss of a creative agency. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the interesting thing is agencies don't really make that much more money off the no, size of the production. He says with his Lamborghini out the front. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think it says something more around maybe the confidence of marketers to invest in their brands again. So another big kind of large-scale ad is Budget Direct's new mystery thriller-style campaign, which we'll have a quick listen to now. anyone throw their money away like that? It's a mystery, wrapped in an enigma, 
wrapped in a conundrum, lost in a scotch mist. Why? It's a mystery why anyone would pay more for insurance. Get award-winning cover for less with Budget Direct. Insurance solved. So this campaign is by 303 Marlon Lowe. It's um, it's based in, it's set in Sydney, it's filmed in Sydney. What did you guys think? Chris, you go first. Um, so again, as a piece of entertainment, I really liked it. In terms of where the brands sit, I'm... I don't work on it, so I don't know the strategy, but I think what budget, what Mr. Risky did for Budget Direct was a far closer proxy to its audience as a challenger and the sort of flippantness that comes from that. Now, albeit this is a parody on, you know, the, the CSIs and the, um, you know, the detective shows of the world, but I don't know. I, I felt like it was, again, a really entertaining production, but it doesn't feel like it takes the brand further than what they do with Mr. Risky. I have to agree. I think that Mr. Risky was much more of a lovable character than just like some kind of detached CSI style. Yeah, you understood the parody quicker, I think, with Mr. Risky. Yeah, I didn't really. Also, the guy's voice, is it English? Is it Australian? I couldn't figure it out and it was troubling me. Scottish. Oh, is that what it was? You might be about to talk about the next one, but my favourite ad (laughs) of of the whole year. (laughs) Stick to the questions. (laughs) (laughs) Look, my favourite ad for the whole year is the monkey's burly work. I think uh, what they did with womanhood previously where it was all around. That was the boob ad from last week. Oh, the bouncy boobs. The bouncy boobs. Yeah, they I thought it was excellent as well. Probably I'm not its target audience. It was, <laughs> I don't know, I felt a bit uncomfortable watching it for some people hitting boobs with tennis rackets. I just felt a bit... Ouch. I don't know what I thought. I just was <laughs> well, very confused. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's wonderful product advertising. It's yeah. almost that sort of classic campaign... Um, the Campaign Palace era when they yeah. did that, you know, the great target work of the old days. It sort of, it feels like the monkeys are really resurrecting that, which yeah. I think was pretty amazing. And it felt really fresh as well. It felt really yeah. new and fresh. And- yeah, yeah. The next ad we will be talking about is also the monkeys, and it's their spring campaign for MLA, which we'll have a quick listen to now. Moroccan lamb loin chops. How do you do it? All you need is the lamb. Moroccan spices and a pad. Some greens and your friends. Too easy. So this ad, or this kind of series of ads, there's two. There's one of a guy in a hot tub where he quite easily cooks some lamb. What are they called? I haven't eaten meat in a while now. Chops. Lamb chops. And then he, the second one is a lady having a massage making koftas. I just, I didn't see it. I just didn't, it didn't, didn't get me. Didn't draw me in personally, but that's just my opinion. What about you guys? <laughs> I guess where do you go after confronting exactly. religious challenges? And, uh, you know, there's a new marketing manager there. Again, I don't, I don't know anything about the brand or how the monkeys went through that process. I guess the, the Meat and Livestock Foundation have been really successful by uh, almost being a barometer of what the cultural no-go areas are in Australia. Like, you know, the we, we've all we've all been boat people was I think their best work. Mm. I think the work before that when they had um, Richie Benno and stuff involved was really great. I think on this one it's just it's almost like the brand has decided not to be that cultural barometer anymore because mm. there, there isn't any reference to how any- lamb exists in our lives. It's more just a compelling way to tell the story. Yeah. So I think it would be interesting to see what comes next from these guys if this is the new strategy just to pursue a reverence rather than cultural reflection. Mm. Um, but that was that was my outtake from watching the work. They talked about the product from the moment the ad starts to, to the 30 seconds later, they just talk about lamb the entire time. I thought it was really sort of simple, straightforward. You know what this advertising done well. It was funny. It was engaging. They're probably all the things that you'd want 
And I, you remember cheek, the cheek, message. Cheek. So I thought they were pretty good, yeah. All right. What about the UK retailer John Lewis's new ad for school kids? Loved it. This is the best ad all year. Fantastic. We'll just have a quick listen to oh, it sorry, first. Did I enjoy <laughs> is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. John, you loved it. Best ad all year. It's a. Is John, it just because it's John Bohemian Rhapsody? Put a foot wrong for me. I don't know why. They just just nail. This is just a wonderful thing of kids singing Bohemian Rhapsody at a school concert, and it's just done brilliantly. It's so engaged. I don't even know what's advertising. It's something. Neither do I. Uh, neither do I. John Lewis, which is a UK retailer. They just never get it wrong, John Lewis. I don't know. But do they DDB, not get it right? David and Eve DDB do it in the UK, and they. I just thought it was fabulous and entertaining and great and grandiose and and just epic and you want to sing along because it's Bohemian Rhapsody and it's funny and it's. But isn't the the fact that neither of us really knew what the connection was not some joint venture with Waitrose over there, which they get to the message was a boring message. They weren't trying to sell you anything. I just thought it was on on the money on target. I'm probably not using advertising terminology here. Chris, I just thought it was really cool. Yeah, look, it's undeniably a John Lewis ad. The tone gives it up straight away. I think to your point, Daisy, we're so used to seeing their Christmas ads and that emotional tone plays into so well for gift giving that I think Waitress probably lost out in that. I think what I think what John Lewis really appeals to all of us is it takes the best part of what we imagine the idealised life is that is attainable and just sort of colours it in a little bit. You know, like Christmas isn't chaos. Christmas isn't filled with... You know, a whole lot of relatives and in-laws coming into your house and messing up. Like, it is this beautiful time of gift-giving. And then I think on this one, you know, we all, I don't know how many people have sat through a school concert. Yes, so I was about to I've say, I've sat through, well, I have a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old and regularly sit through Are they super course. tedious? Because that's the oh, only thing that I watch. Well, the, you know the what? first three or four hours are good. It's that night there when they triangle solo. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like, you kind of imagine you'd hope you go to a school concert that's put on like that. So, look, I think production yes. values are amazing. The the attainable aspiration is really perfectly John Lewis. Look, beautifully produced. I'm with you, Daisy. I don't really know what it does. But it's fun to watch. Great to watch. Fun to watch. Doesn't hurt the John Lewis brand anyway. Exactly. So that's a wrap for this week's media stories and campaigns. Normally we'd take a short break at this point to big up our podcast sponsor. However, we're still looking for one. So I know what you're thinking. Oh, an amazing sponsorship opportunity. So if you'd like to jump on board, get in touch with me by emailing me at daisy at bnt.com.au. So D-A-I-S-Y at B-A-N-D-T dot com dot A-U. So it's now my great pleasure to welcome back our special guest for the day, CHE Proximity CEO, Chris Howitson. Hey, Chris again. Hello again. Still here. Still here. And John, also still here? I nodded off there for a second, but I I'm back in the you room. did. <laughs> so, Chris, rather than interrogate you with a bunch of media questions right away, what don't we know about you, Chris? Tell us something that's not media related, that's just an interesting thing you like to do or... Sure. My... <laughs> <laughs> that's always a hard question, right? What do you say we about that? We also have a G rating. <laughs> <laughs> No, look, I'm I'm pretty much who you see. This is this is me. I think um, I'm very lucky to have found a job I love, and then I'm very lucky to have family I love. So, work and and life is pretty well balanced. I think, you know, I'm a really avid gardener. 
Really? So I, I do a bit of gardening. You know, like most people in Sydney, I don't have a very big backyard. So I once did my neighbour and once re-landscaped my whole neighbour's backyard. She's <laughs> my next door neighbour, like literally did the whole thing for her. Um, Just because you had garden envy? No, no. Well, she put her head over the fence and asked me whether what, I, what my recommendation on a couple of plants would be. And I said, oh, well, you know what? what, what do you, what's your budget? And she told me, I said, well, I reckon I could do your whole backyard for that. So... Do you want me to? I didn't make money off it. It was just to do. So I find it as I find a really good stress relief. Yeah, right. Mm. You know, getting out in the dirt. It wasn't de- all dead in about six weeks' time. No, <laughs> like I, put, I put a sprinkler oh, system no. in too. That's the secret, John. Oh, Water. So, I- <laughs> <laughs> so question, you started at Clems in 2002, which is interesting because you've popped out of nowhere, Some, so some people say. Mm. Completely incorrect because you've been here for quite some time. Why do you think that people think you've just popped out of nowhere? Um, I don't know. I think, well, look, we've had a wonderful year this year as an agency and that obviously probably shapes people's views of where we've come from. Um, I've, I've been really lucky. It's a jealousy thing. No, I don't think so. I find the industry incredibly supportive, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to Cannes for the first time this year and it's really amazing how the Aussies all get together Mm. and it doesn't matter if, you know, um, the guys at Hurst of Ass are winning lots, the, you know, guys at DDB won a bit, you know, um, we all got together. It, it was really amazing, actually. It was it was great to feel that camaraderie. And then essentially the award shows that, that dot the year is basically a great time for everyone to come together. Mm. So we're fierce competitors on the field, but then off the field, you know, it's a pretty collegial, pretty friendly, pretty supportive industry, I think. I'd be interested to know what kind of issues within the industry you think aren't getting enough attention and as well as that, what's something that you're really proud of happening in the industry at the moment? Yeah, sure. So... I reckon the thing that's really not had the right amount of attention is transparency in media. That got really hot a couple of years ago with AANA. Um, Mark Pritchard from Pocket and Gamble kind of kicked it up last year. Everybody, do you think, do you think he, He's a rebel raiser. Do you think he likes to give the media agencies a kicking because he wants a better deal? It, you know, there's, a, yeah, there's, there's a method in his madness. I just think, though, and I, I see it, and I won't obviously suggest who or anything, but we work on some clients where we don't have the media, obviously, so we're working with other media agencies. And you can see in their proposals that the recommendations are biasing to highly commissionable channels, like highly commissionable, uh, whether that's through pre-organised rebates or whether that's infantry that they're owning and trading on. And there's just not the transparency to the client that the markup that they're getting from from those sources of ad inventory are more or less than these ones. And What do you think the consequences ultimately? You hear this all the time. Yeah. And... I've been at BNC for three years and ever since and joined, obviously, when the big scandal hit, which we all know about and I won't repeat. We've been talking about this for a long time. Nothing's really happening about it. Do you think the client will have to take on the initiative here and ultimately not bring it in-house? But I don't know what the client will... You talked about Mr Proctor there at P&G. Do you think it'll be the client that enacts the change and forces the change on the industry rather than the industry being able to self-regulate? Well, yeah, I think it's going to be really hard to self-regulate because it's broken because yeah. procurement have pushed down the transparent fees so low. You know, I think the the, the ex-CEO of Mediacom in the States when he left Mediacom in North America and he said, which kicked off the whole WNA investigation in the first place a few years ago, he said, why is it that agency compensation is going down yet revenue and profitability is going up? That those two just things don't line up, right? And um, And that kicked off the whole thing. So I think... You know, the industry has done it to itself because procurement has pulled out all the margin 
um, and therefore people have had to look in different places to, ways to make money and that's why they'll create their own inventory banks and sell them off at major multiples higher than what they paid for it. I, I just think it's really bad because where we're leading into as an industry is essentially, you know, we've got this wonderful opportunity to transform advertising from being the ads that we talked about today where I make an ad and then I broadcast it through some channels to transition to this environment where I can take a customer on a story story arc, a journey over time and, and progressively deliver that story rather than one just big moment and I can invest proportional to that customer's most brand, value. Most brands don't do that, you know. We, you talk about, we were talking about big TV series, yeah. but I'm sure if I looked at all those brands, they would be working across a number of channels. and Yeah, know. totally. They would be working across channels, but it would be the integrated point of view rather than a sequence point of view. And integration is just making sure you're saying the same message in every channel. Sequencing, and I guess where we're going, is I can understand that you're John and you're Daisy, and I can take you on different message journeys across different channels according to what I want to say to either of you. And so this is personalization at scale. This is CRM meets broadcast advertising meets media and they all come together you know and and where that takes us is that media infantry it, so much of it is already programmatized you know fast forward five years it'll be like a commodity market you know you will bid for infantry in an environment where you want to do it like we're already seeing a whole lot of outdoor and television infantry come into a programmatic format so the whole construct of how media exists will change because the the negotiation component will diminish and instead you'll buy it which is why a lot of the media agencies are building their own, you know, trading banks and those type of things. Um, so, you know, the industry has come to where it is because it's been pushed there. I think the only way to pull it back is, you know, I, I know that the Omnicom group, for example, is is very clear with clients about remuneration. You know, like he's, he's willing to get paid for for these people and that's kind of it. Um, it's certainly how we model our agency, which is we call it nothing dodgy media. So basically, if you want to do media with us, it's here's the people you need. Um, here's the transparency value chain. Here's, here's where different bits get cut for the ad server or whoever else and whoever takes that. But if we can't disclose that level of transparency around where their dollar goes, then you end up spending a lot of money that doesn't so necessarily... Do you think there's action. dodginess in the Australian media industry? Yeah, huge. Oh, right. Huge dodgy. You oh. said that it was like you... you won't say who it is, but you said that you've worked with media agencies alongside a client and you've mm. seen that they've been dodgy in, in how much what they're doing. Is the onus on you to protect your client, just to bring up with your client, like, oh, they're doing something shifty or do you just kind of... Well, no, 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 Should we you will. just check how many Ferraris they've got in the CEO's got <laughs> in the garage is probably the best way to audit most media companies. Look, I, I think what's interesting is it's not... I think most of those agencies, if I'm, if I'm trying to find any positive in it, aren't doing it to buy Ferraris. They're just doing it to stabilise their business model. Mm. You know, like I don't think anyone's making outrageous profits on total. Like it's because they're getting skimmed here, they've got to pick up over there. So mm. it's it's Robin Peter to pay Paul. But that, you know, I think just on a values-based method of how one should do business, you know, I think that should all be really transparent. I think the smart clients out there want to pay agencies a fair amount because fair remuneration attracts you know, makes the agency stronger because they can get the right talent, they can work hard, they can feel rewarded for their effort. So I guess to your question, Daisy, do we say anything about it? Yeah, we do, definitely do. Um, and, you know, but I guess they're, they're fragile things to mm. manage those inter, inter-agency relationships to service a client. Mm. And what's something you're proud of in the industry? Yeah, yeah. So, look, totally converse to that. Where we haven't seen a whole lot of progress on transparency, I think we've seen a whole lot of progress on inclusion. Mm. Um you know, I was very proud 
to you know win the our championship change at your BNT Women in Media Awards. But I think separate to that, if we you know I said it on night, but that forum has gone from being you know, a, a nice idea in essentially a small setting to actually being a major event on the whole industry calendar. And the most recent one at Dalton House, that was full, you know, mm. it wasn't... Sold out. Sold out. <laughs> sold out with extra tables. But look, that it wasn't so much what happened in that room. I think it's the conversations that then provokes in every management team, in every client, you know, across the industry. Let, let's talk about the really positive things in advertising this year. Let's look at um, a lot of the stuff that one can this year. So the Brisi... Uh, with the Blood Normal campaign, one of my favourite pieces of work over the last 12 months, which is all about um, normalising the period. You know, to, you know, if you think about really period advertising was probably created by Mad Men in the 1950s and to the point they didn't even use blood. It was Begrudgingly, blue liquid, right? it was blue liquid. Blue so blue liquid, right? And so they, they normalised that. If you look at Billy, um, the razor brand from New York, like it's women shaving their legs with actual hair on them. And you don't even realise. Yeah, I don't want to watch that. But you don't Fancy even realise. that, using a product <laughs> correctly in an ad. But is that bizarre? <laughs> like, there's all these things that our, that our industry has shaped in categories that they've become the expectation. So you see a razor ad and a woman shaving already shaved legs and you don't even look at that as abnormal. Mm. And, you know, that's a changing audience, isn't it? Well, it comes back to the Nike thing, right, around millennials are looking for brands that have purpose and make the world better. Um, you know, it's a generation that's looking forward and it's the generation that's going to forever kind of say to the generations that came before them, what did you do to totally destroy the earth as badly as you've done? What gave us Sam Smith and Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think our industry, you know, we've got government that, that can't decide who it is. We've got church that has become corrupted. The only thing left in our society for us to look to for where we should live our lives are brands. And I think brands are shifting a little bit from, you know, the Coca-Cola drink refreshing from the 1980s, which is full of sugar, to now looking for brands that are actually wholesome, are values-driven, aren't taking from the world around them but giving back to it. So I think in terms of the good things that are happening in the industry, brands are behaving better, which is trickling down into gender and mm. in inclusion and diversity and all those sort of things. That you should run an advertising agency saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the church has failed, government has failed, only advertising agencies can save us. Okay, we'll leave, I'll I leave that one alone. <laughs> but you probably do you think Do you think government has succeeded? Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it has its failings, but it's, you know, I'd rather an elected official rather than the CEO of Coca-Cola running my life. But Absolutely. I, but you, you're right. But what about the CEO of Thank You? Thank You, the water company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would happily have that person as Prime Minister yeah. than ScoMo. Oh. Sorry, ScoMo, if you're listening. <laughs> Sorry, but these these are the interesting conversations that are happening. Is people are saying, "Well, actually, I didn't elect ScoMo, I, you know, and I didn't elect the person beforehand and the person before that, and actually, I can elect anyone now, and their party can throw them out. So, actually, should I even vote for a party? Can I even just refuse to vote because I'm so frustrated with the process? No, mm. you should vote. You should. Be yeah, you get a hundred dollar fine. Yeah. Or, or do I go and buy brands that every time I do this, they're going to create a well for a community that doesn't have water? So. You know, that's a very utopic, very simplistic view of it, but that's essentially the trade-off that, the you know, the next generation is thinking about. I'm interested. You guys, Chep, winning seemingly just award after award after award, including an array of B&T awards. If you would, didn't mind answering, what's one area of the business that you think needs more work? Sort of everything all the time is the obvious answer, is that agencies are wonderful, fragile places that, if you don't feel like you're moving forward, you only feel like you're going backwards. So everything needs 
support and shaping all the time. I think it's a really obvious thing to say, but you know, we're the we're entering the age of assistance. I'm sure everyone's read the Google paper on that, but that again is going to change a lot of how we do how things. How do you do that with such an interesting thing with staff? Not that you go on your staff every day as a CEO and go, we've got to get better without sort of it sounding like this was shit. How's the, what's the characteristic of a CEO that you can do, you know, to drive forward? Yeah, sure. You know, you know that's, you know, everyone was Without belittling the staff. Yeah, without belittling the staff. Or the client, or the ads, or the campaigns, or the work, or the. Yeah, look, I, I th- I'm so proud of our people. We've got amazing people. And I think. There's a natural energy in great agencies to just want to outdo what they did before. Mm-hmm. It's almost, I think the best competition is yourself rather than others because if you benchmark yourself on what other people do, you're sort of constantly second-guessing what you think is the next big thing. And then, like I said, in the last, there's been nothing released really for months and then in the last four days there's been major work released mm-hmm. for so many brands and you kind of go, great, this is fantastic, like the industry is moving forward. I think it's the same thing for us is that, you know, the, the best people can, I, I remember reading once that, the sign of intelligence is the ability to reflect. Apparently that's something we have as as an evolved species that other mammals don't have is the ability to reflect and also to imagine what the future looks like. But um, that's that's what you do, I think, is you do something well and then you think, well, how could I do it better and what's changing? Uh, you know, I think one of the things that we've got to figure out is in this age of assistance thing you know, what, how do you do voice properly? How does voice not become the, oh, and we'll do this skill in, you know, Google or in Alexa and you stick it at the end of the pack and it's the sort of, it's almost what digital was 12 years ago. We'd present the campaign and here are some banners we should do, you know, and and now what we're presenting is more integrated journeys and voice has to be part of that. I think um, one of the best things I've seen this year is something that Deloitte's Digital did and it's called Lucy. It was this trial I did with one of the hospitals in Sydney and Again, wonderful example of design thinking and solving real human problems. You know when you're in the hospital bed and you press the nurse button? That nurse button lights up a sign at the nurse station and it's not triaged. So you've got 100 people pressing a button all at once. You've just got 100 rooms that flash. And so what they do was they put voice in each room. So you'd say, you know, hey, Google or whatever, hey, Alexa, I think they did. I need a nurse because I'm in pain or I need a nurse because I need a towel. That then triaged the, the request into a priority and then gave them data to understand their staffing schedules around how that what type of skills they needed in the nurse ward or in the nurse floor at that moment in time. It took the average response rates from pressing the button in Western um, hospitals from 10 and a half minutes to two minutes. That's where I think advertising is shifting a little bit is we're not just selling products, but we're helping create experiences that they're actually you know, not selling anything, they're just making things better. Just before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you a two-pointer. Mm. What is your favourite Can't Live Without media and what is the favourite ad of all time? I might start with favourite ad of all time. There's probably two. There's Cabra Grilla. Oh, yeah. Grilla plays the drums to Phil Collins in the air tonight. That's pretty unreal. The John Lewis, the original John Lewis out of the kid who seems really impatient for Christmas and then he wakes up on Christmas Day and actually he's been impatient because he wants to give his parents the present. Not that he's oh. going to have a present. That's that's pretty magic too. Oh. So they're always good. And look, we're coming to Christmas ad season. We're only a few months away, and we get all the beautiful Br- British ads. So that's quite good. Should the strain create? You know, there's always an argument. Should strain creatives try harder at this time? You know, the UK trying to own that sort of category. We yeah, I- look at them and say how great. Whilst Aldi, Aldi do well. Coles- Aldi do sweet ads. They do great ads. Like yeah, Coles and Woolies are probably less exciting. Coles do the down down. 
What do you mean? <laughs> it's very got great Christmas time, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I just reckon it's culturally different here at Christmas time. Yeah. You know, we've got a we we've got other moments in our calendar that I don't know what they yeah. are actually, but I think Christmas I think. isn't the Australian moment to be emotional. No, it's a, it's a moment to eat prawns and yeah, sing some bevs yeah. by the pool. That's why I think coming back to what we talked about before the lamb ad, like I really liked how they started marking Australia Day, mm. that that brand owned the moment around Australia Day. And I don't know, I think that's the bigger opportunity in Australia is find those cultural moments of truth that aren't saturated in the other markets and mm. and that could be our moment. And your media? The media other I can't Other than bnt.com.au, what's of your favourite media? Yeah, I, 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 I refresh 50 times a day just to... Make sure I'm up to date. We've, I do. We've, we've fixed all our spelling mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate your headlines. They're good. Uh, oh, look, my, my favourite media is um, probably the sort of hardcore Nordic noir drama, you know, to stop my brain from thinking I've got to watch some type of Swedish crime drama that's in subtitles. Is this on SBS? Yeah, SBS oh. On Demand. Oh, right. I can't believe that platform. It's so good. Mm. Oh, right. Same it's with so ABC Ivy, good. though. Yeah. ABC Ivy's got just great stuff. It's just there waiting for you. Yeah, if you've got Apple TV, it makes the interface to use it real easy. Oh, so easy. And, Netflix, um, just click. And it's free, right? And, yeah, Netflix is obviously amazing. But, I don't know, like, I, yeah, the, world, the world's amazing from an entertainment point of view. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's so easy to sit on your couch and do nothing but listen to podcasts. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, podcasts are great, too. That's another emerging medium, right? It's made the drive a bit more... Useful. Mm. Everyone's yeah. a little bit smarter. Yeah. Because of podcasts. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not after this one. Hey. <laughs> no, All right. Good. I'm going to stop you, John, before you insult our podcast any further. <laughs> I'd like to hear more about hydrangeas next week. <laughs> <laughs> that just about wraps it up for the week. Chris, thank you so much for your time and for coming in today. Thank you, Daisy. Thank That's you, John. That's okay. Thanks, thank John, as well. It's always a pleasure, Daisy. Oh, thank I you, know Chris. And listeners, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider by searching for B&T Fast 30 Podcasts. And thanks again to our production partner, Eardrum. We'd love to hear your suggestions for a guest. We now have a dedicated Facebook group. So find that, leave a comment or suggestion, and we promise to act on it as fast as possible. And from all of us here at B&T, keep living the dream, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>